0: Hello everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and this is a new episode of Tapirouge. Rouge. Our shout-out today goes to my man Nikita Moziev, who was the first one to find out our fierce guest today, Masha Terentiva. Fun fact, Nikita and Masha were both Cirque babies and crossed paths on the OG Alegria back in the days. If you know Masha, have seen her on stage, or have seen her work, you'd agree with me, she is a badass. Actually, there is also a big chance that you've seen her work on stage without knowing it, but we'll get to that. She has been working in the industry for a while now, and she worked all over for so many different companies. She is the creator of the now famous aerial hotel cart that you can see in so many productions, like Curios, Twas a Night Before Christmas, Eleven Miami, Festa, Blanc de Blanc. I mean, that thing is literally everywhere. Creating a new apparatus is not easy, and there is no doubt that Masha nailed it. I thought it would be cool to sit down and just listen to how she did that, and I was not disappointed. So here she is, the queen of the hotel cart umpire, Masha (music) Terentiva. Masha, welcome to Tapirouge.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> hey, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm in Andorra right now with the Cirque du Soleil special events, yes. and it's a beautiful country, beautiful cast and crew. I'm really happy to be here doing my act, uh, hotel card aerial hotel okay. card.
0: Yes, is it the first time you're doing special event with here? No,
1: actually, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, well, it was it was was considered a special event. I think, was the night before. And now it's a, it's part of the permanent shows. Ah,
0: okay. Because it's a recurring thing every year, so it's like becoming like a, so, a show. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Masha, you, I have to say you're a dope artist. I've known you for a while. I've seen your work. I've, I was in the audience when you presented the for the first time Hotel Cart at Salle de Demain. True. And I, I think you also have such an interesting life. So why don't you start by telling us where you come from and how were you first introduced to the circus and Cirque du Soleil?
1: Well, I definitely come from a circus family. My father is a clown. Um, he's part of the movement of the founding style of Russian clowning, as they call it now in mm-hmm. Cirque du Soleil. Um, well, it was a theater called in Russian, in Russia with slava Polunin, has been working with him for over 40 years
0: um yeah, the last time i saw your dad was in osaka in 2016 when slava oh, was wow. performing there we were there with totem so oh, so i did some of us yes to come to the end amazing it is yeah. funny because i haven't seen you in way longer than this but I, when i saw your dad i was like oh say hello to my show and, <laughs> oh, that's so and nice. maybe you'll see her before i do <laughs>
1: it's true I don't see him so often but he's 78 and he's still on tour he's still touring with Slava Snowshow he's the oldest one there it's incredible it's quite an inspiration so I grew up basically backstage with my dad and he was more um theater and mime and clown it it was not exactly circus oriented Mm -hmm. until we moved to Canada and then he joined Cirque du Soleil uh, in Alegria in, two yeah. th- in 2000. I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And that was the golden age, as they called it, call it, where Cirque had all the families and had the school on tour. So for three years, I was on tour with my dad and my mom with Alegria. And it was
0: incredible. And you were doing the school on Alegria?
1: I was doing the school on Alegria, which was actually part of Ecole uh, Nationale de Cirque. It was, a, oh, it was yes. like... A, Part of that education and of course uh, on tour as a child everyone was doing circus it was like you know a normal school kids play baseball or whatever and we were all doing circus whether or not it was like this is what she just did and of course we had even some families on tour like tamir who you know his mother was teaching because she didn't she wasn't officially part of circ at this point so she was teaching all the kids Contortion. Oh yeah. She was sitting on me in an oversplit. I remember uh you know, a la Mongolian Yeah. And she was my first like serious circus coach. It was it was I'm really grateful to her. So she was teaching me contortion. Sometimes we didn't have access to the artistic trend to train there. So we would do it in the corridors of the hotels nice and i remember at one point doing a contortion handstand in the corridor and the only space that there was in front of the elevators and the elevator doors open and the people come out and they're like ah, this is contortion." Go back. In. <laughs> it was really great so yeah that was my upbringing like with the Cirque du Soleil i really would call myself a Cirque baby because i know this company for so long for sure
0: and how long did you stay on tour for
1: on tour with alegría we were three years after which we left back and went to canada and i did high school in toronto arts high school mm-hmm. which was really great studying dance and drama and bullshit and this at this point is when i realized because when i was on tour doing circus as a kid i was like oh it's not serious i'm not actually good enough to be in this in du soleil because i'm I started quite late and I'm not uh, like as crazy as the people who I saw in front of me. But when I left, I realized, actually, I'm, I have a lot of skills that I've acquired and I can be good so I was training a bit in Toronto. And then ENC came around with auditions. I was 16, 17. I decided to audition and I got in and there was no turning back. Then I decided to go for aerials, which was not something I knew so much before. And then, so I, I did circus school. I graduated 2008.
0: How was the training at uh, ENC compared to training with Magda?
1: <laughs> Interesting, because there was also um, we had many great coaches. Um, we had some Russian coaches like Irina and Elena. Mm-hmm. I my coach was Natalia Berg. My main discipline mm-hmm. was hoop double cord and my minor first year was contortion second year and third year I switched to hula hoops because I kind of injured my back and also I was like too hard (laughs) (laughs) let's do something funner
0: you know I have to tell you that when I started circus school we were watching your act in the library because the thing that was amazing in our point of view is that you were going so high like we were watching your act and we were like this girl is crazy she is going so so high in her act
1: with the two ropes i remember but i tell you a little story about this one of the russian coaches came up to me one time because in my first year i was doing a lot of floor work and research of movement with the hoop and throwing the hoop and catching the hoop and all this and they came to me and they said masha you know all this is great what you're doing but uh when are you going to stop this crawling on the floor stuff and go high <laughs> and i was like oh and they said you know i personally saw two falls and deaths in the circus Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. And I'm the one telling you, go high, because this is what it is, circus. This is what aerials is, and you're strong enough and you can do it. And I was like, okay, let's go. And the next day with Natalia, I was like, okay, we're going high and just go first start, but just going 10 meters and just holding on by one hand and just looking down and just chilling and just chilling one holding on the other hand. And then I think part of that was me, like that comment made me go, okay, my preuve i I'm going to go freaking high, you know? (laughs) But yeah.
0: And so you finished Circus school. you're graduating in Aerial Hoop?
1: Yes, I graduated in Aerial Hoop and right away went across the street to Dralion. I did as a backup act, it was Aerial Hoop act and I was on tour there for a year.
0: And how did it feel to be back? at would but not as a child. Oh, Real, no, it is
1: Incredible. I mean, and you know what's crazy is that I went back to Australia. Like when we were with Alegria, I was in Australia. And then with Dralion, I went again into Australia, a New Zealand tour. And yeah, it was just like living a dream and challenging in some ways. Then Dralion finished as a tent show, went to, to arena. I did other stuff like cabarets in Germany a little bit. Mm-hmm. then I went to Zarkana. which we did uh, creation Montreal for eight months really long time
0: yeah so how was the creation of Darkana because you had a very specific character in the show like you work with René Bazinet as a teacher so how was the whole creative process it was really
1: valuable with the master grandmaster René Bazinet I'm very grateful because we had an incredible experience we were 13 characters they called us movers and we basically got the stage uh lecoq style or you know goliath style from rené and we did a lot a lot of improvisation and trying to find our characters and group work and chorus and like Commedia de l'arte styles and
0: did rené knew who your dad was he he
1: did but he kind of uh <laughs> he was kind of using that to try to kill my ego so to say, <laughs> to say like. <laughs> Just because you have a clown dad doesn't mean you're funny. <laughs> doesn't necessarily pass on with the genes. Yeah, You know, the whole intimidation technique and finding your vulnerability and authenticity. It worked for some people, for some people less. But um, there were some moments in the creation that were so amazing, which was kind of disappointing that didn't translate to the show itself. Mm-hmm. Because the original idea behind the movers were... It was kind of based on, you know, the four white guys in L'Anuba?
0: Yes, Les Cons. Les Cons. Mm-hmm.
1: So they were moving as one, you know, as one entity. Mm-hmm. But we were 13. That's a lot of people. Yeah. But at some points, it was possible to create this synergy and absolute telepathy with, with this amazing group of people who were Cécile Trepanier, Evelyn La Montagne, um julie dion uh, it was fantastic people and i remember we he had us doing you know school of fish exercise where you're just like going from place to place Hmm. and we had had at one point going for like 40 minutes straight i remember i remember just having complete collective consciousness that i wasn't thinking by myself i just knew someone behind me was turning around and i'd turn around so that was really incredible and it was an incredible artist on the show yeah, I stayed there for two years with them.
0: Because the show was supposed to be resident in New York, and then Sir changed their mind, they sent it on tour. Wasn't Madrid the first city, something like that,
1: I think? It was New York. Radio City Music Hall for five months, then Madrid, then Moscow, Kremlin State mm-hmm. Theater, which was a trip and a half. <laughs> and it was, again, New York. And then they realized it was too hard to move a show of that scale. hmm place to place it was costing way too much money so they were like okay let's do a permanent show in vegas which they moved it there and i didn't go with them Mm -hmm. i went to berlin instead and did a lot of variety and cabaret and winter garden chameleon gop palazzo Mm -hmm. all that stuff
0: yeah and how is that scene compared to like your life previous doing just bigger show with cirque and everything
1: i think for me it was really time at this point to i was interested in again intimate audience and intimate stages where it's maybe 300 people in the audience but you can see them all and you can hear them and you can hear them breathing and I was going really a lot minimalistic with my movements with my acts I was trying to create something very where you can really see every finger I really like that and I found a scene also in Berlin of like these amazing Artists, visionaries, not necessarily just circus people, but um media, makeup, costume, photography, design, um everyone was doing everything. And it was just really like a breath of fresh air in a way at this point. I think after you're on tour for a while, you, like Renee said in this mm-hmm. podcast, get a bit burnt out mm-hmm. you something new. And that's when I started thinking about creating a new apparatus, which was the hotel cart
0: Mm -hmm. that act is such a huge contribution in the industry and i i was talking with one of the artists on our show not so long ago we're thinking like new apparatus in circus in such a tricky stuff i think it's like out of 10 circus apparatus that are created you have eight that are like a big miss then you have one that like maybe has potential (laughs) but not there yet and you have one that's yes that is something and i think hotel card is really like one like, like yes that is is something so yeah how was the whole process what was the idea why did you want to create a new apparatus
1: the idea actually came during the creation of zarkana i was checking into apartments which i think many of the listeners would know and there's this old hotel cart there and I was with a friend and we may or may not have been a little bit tipsy. Mm-hmm. And I was, <laughs> I was climbing on the cart and we were pushing my bags around in the corridor. And I just had a light bulb, like, boom, wait. This, I need to do an act on the hotel cart. And she was like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. this is going and then it's gonna fly. And of course, from this moment, it took me another four years. To actually, first of all, get the balls to Mm -hmm. to the side, make this thing because I have no idea if it's going to work. Find somebody who was going to design for me and engineer the apparatus and make it really good and and safe and stable. Mm -hmm. Third of all, save up the money to put up the investment Mm -hmm. for it. Sure you know, I measured everything, like how far my leg would have to go and I drew it on a piece of paper and said, this is the main measurement and I brought it to um, Acrobat. Well, he's actually an architect, but he designed some great apparatuses. It's Gerhard von Stuckenbrock. Mm-hmm. And maybe you know, Eike Stuckenbrock, it's his father. He also designed the mannequin.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, the mannequin on which Eike was doing handstand. Oh.
1: That's right. So I brought it to Get my idea, and he brought... It to a, he designed it and brought it to a welder who then made me the first hotel cart,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I get this thing and I have no idea how it's going to move, how it's going to be in the air, how heavy it is, and I'm just like, all right, let's let's do research. You know, it might not work at all, and then from this point, it was another four years until sub de demand.
0: Crazy. First, saving the money, doing all the measurements, and then yeah, prototype one. You get the prototype one, and from that point you have four years before you present your act of like to the whole world in doma for the first time.
1: Well, I did actually present I did perform it before Seb doma Uh I performed it uh, in Australia in a show called Blanc de Blanc with Stratton and mm-hmm. Fred. Yeah. Sydney Opera House. And I also performed it a little bit with Space Berlin, but very, very like early stages. Mm-hmm. I was uh lucky because my prototype worked well. Mm-hmm. And originally i even had like a base that was coming out to the side to make it stable on the floor where i could do flag and stuff okay. but it's, eventually i realized it was kind of too much and unnecessary and i got rid of it
0: mm-hmm. and so how many hours do you spend from like let's say prototype one like how long do you take what's your schedule like
1: you go very slow and you know it didn't work right away the first show i did i did one show and i was like mm, it's it's okay and then I put it away and then I did some, like, I kept working doing my aerial hoop act and my hula hoops act and like, okay, no, I'm going to try to push this act. The hotel cart did it in Dubai as well in a, in a club. And then more and more, I was getting a hold of my apparatus. I realized like the cool thing that I didn't even know was possible when I was designing it is that when you're spinning inside hmm. on the bar, yeah. it's spins that if I stop, it spins around me and creates this illusion effect like a cage. Yeah. Like I didn't realize that was going to happen when I was designing it. So it was like a lot of surprises and finding out the technique and everything. And then I was like, okay, it's time. I'm going to apply for circular demand. That's when I'm going to show it really to the world mm-hmm. and like post it everywhere and stuff. And it went really great.
0: Yeah, it was amazing. The The writing of your act, was was so brilliant too.
1: Thank you, yeah. And,
0: and you could tell you're talking about to be vulnerable as a character and that work you did during the creation of Darkana. I think your character was so touching. The way you came in with all the bags, that whole thing, I think, was so brilliant.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I really went deep into the, the topic because, um, well, first of all, Jacques Brel, the song, the lyrics is incredible, uh, Les Marquises. But for me, the, the act was about... You know, kind of like mediocrity and 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 routine and nine to five and this idea of like this metaphor of being a bellhop, of being a worker in a hotel, of being a waiter, of being a taxi driver, of being someone who's just working this very routine job, and they 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 have this dream, like, what if I could fly away on this apparatus? What if I can fucking perform, you know, and never be able to. Because you just don't have the opportunities,
2: because mm-hmm.
1: they're not open to you, and and that's the tragedy, and that's why I decided to do it the opposite way. That the ending of my act is where it was all a dream. You know, I don't know if it was clear or not, but that yeah, the yeah. character got dressed back and went back to work because the mm-hmm. cart doesn't fly. They're not an acrobat. They're not. They're just. They're working, like that's what they're gonna do. And there's so potent, like I've seen people, like I don't know, observe circus from the sidelines and been like, oh, it's so much awe and amazement, and just have this bittersweet, like longing that they could never fulfill. And I kind of wanted to give that the voice away. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It was really special. It's an amazing moment in my life. Like I won bronze medal and four other prizes including uh, Saint-Denis-Soleil Innovation
0: Act. Yeah, the word innovation was really appropriate. Yeah, I remember seeing the act and thinking like, this is such a brilliant idea. Like that's a real, a real new thing that she's bringing to the table. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artists profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code tapirouge in one word so go to circustalk.com sign up to pro and use the code rouge to find your spotlight with our partner Circus Talk alright guys a little side story now back in 2014 I hurt my back training backstage before a show the pain was so intense I couldn't put my socks on sit for more than two minutes and obviously it took me out of the show for quite some time I followed a strict core rehabilitation program and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions. And also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, What did you do for your back? And I thought I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always putting random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain That also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now let's get back to the show
1: I definitely uh, wasn't alone like it's thanks to the genius of the person who created who built it of course and like uh, all of the outside eyes that helped me along the way
0: how many people were in your team like how many people total you have like the engineer outside eyes did you have coaches how many people does it take
1: mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends who came and supported me I was training at base Berlin and they were helping me figure out what was great what was not I kind of used the time in doing my contracts to like find the way it was really like um yeah team effort in terms of like community I would I guess the whole community I felt really supported from that but again, I want to specify and, and highlight the importance of the fact that it was a long process. It was not right away successful. And it was, it took a lot of belief mm-hmm. and dedication and passion for this idea. It doesn't mean that the idea, maybe, maybe the idea is great, but it's it just needs a little tweak. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a version of it that could work. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not this version. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing is to. To not be afraid to ask for opinions, to ask for feedback, not take criticism personally and let it stifle your creativity, but instead, like, feed your passion for it. Like, okay, it doesn't work. How can I make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, For example, it was Slava Polunin, actually, who I I showed him, I think, a little video. I consider him, like, my uncle, my my godfather or something, like, I really... I admire him, and he. I showed him the video, and him and his wife Leanna both said the same thing right away. They were like, "The platform needs to be see-through, because it was yeah. a solid, a solid thing before." And they're like, "We need to see through it." And I was like, "Of course, this is brilliant." <laughs> so I made a plexiglass. So when I'm high, underneath people can see me standing on it. So it was these kind of like little details over years. Um. Yeah, so it was not like I created that apparatus, built it, and then had it presented at similar demand. No way. And also
0: with your vision, like you had the initial vision. And what you're saying is like, be motivated in your vision, but let it be flexible. Like sometimes don't be too stuck of like, no, this is what I want to do. I don't listen to what people say. Like Be open to other opinion and let that vision transform.
1: I guess there's different ways to approach it. But I think when you're creating something completely new, It depends how much you and like what is your definition of succeeding with it commercially. Do you know what I mean? Because you could be absolutely like stubborn in your vision and maybe convince everyone that it's genius and it's just this one way that you want (laughs) it to work. Maybe. And maybe it's a really contemporary, weird French thing. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or and maybe it's also great. I don't know. Uh, But this was my way. And I think that. I'm still figuring stuff out even now in technique and in, in how to make the act also because I'm doing it oftentimes with different music and different characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Your version of this is a huge commercial yeah. success too because you did Cirque du it was a huge success then you mm-hmm. started to get hired with this and then all of a sudden the hotel cards start appearing on so many Cirque <laughs> shows as well so that's yeah like, you can tell that that's that was it's working.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, I've done a lot of different. First, I think I timed it really well uh, unintentionally with the release of the film Grand Budapest Hotel oh, because yeah. all of a sudden everyone wanted to make a hotel themed show. <laughs> I'm like, great, keep them coming. All the hotels. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the crazy thing is also little story is that the guy who made my first hotel cart it was a welder. I never met him. I don't know his name. I just received the card. And then when the festival went great and there was a demand for more hotel cards to be made, to send them around the world as a franchise, I went back to Garrett and said, okay, I need to make a second one. Can I get the blueprints for it? And he's like, well, the guy who built the first one, he died.
0: Oh, crazy.
1: Yeah. He had a stroke. He was quite, quite young. I never met him. And unfortunately, he passed away and with him all the blueprints are gone so I had to take the original prototype hotel cart and then bring it to a new guy who I found who recreated it, measured it millimeter by millimeter and made a second, a third copy of it and then Cirque made their own uh, because of insurance purposes so I own three and then Cirque owns however many they own now I don't know
0: (laughs) a thousand (laughs) (laughs) and how did it work just if we i know there is a lot of stuff you can't talk about but Mm -hmm. uh, with non-disclosure agreement and stuff like that but when you create the act did you patent it or like did you use like a copyright thing to make sure your idea was protected and like how did that whole process work
1: yeah for sure i i went through all of that the problem is and this is a really good, interesting topic, which I get asked about a lot is uh copyrights. And like, how do you protect yourself really from being copied or when it comes down to it, a lot of the time people can change the concept a little bit or make a circle, a square. And then you have no leg to stand on in legal terms, because it's called an aerial bed instead of an aerial hotel cart. And mm-hmm. So what I do know is that legally your choreography is protected mm-hmm. by automatically by the copyright license of the country that you've performed it in.
0: Okay. So it's an automatic process. You don't need to file anything that's like it's yours, it's your choreography. You
1: the choreography for sure. It's a little bit trickier with the design of the apparatus. Mm-hmm. Because you can patent exactly the design and the blueprints of the apparatus. But then if they change the dimensions, if they change the shape. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot there. There's a lot like, of course, you can, you know, send cease and desist letters. You can sue people. But also, I think there's an importance in choosing your battles and also realizing if it's going to be imitated. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Mm -hmm. And it happened to me for sure that it was copied um, in different places around the world. And there's some that I was like, I'll just let it go I don't mind if it's mm-hmm. playing in Italy in a <laughs> like a Disneyland like a park mm-hmm. you know So let it you know let it be there and but if it was it was an agency in Dubai that copied my act but that was like move by move you know every mm, yeah. it was the same so there I, I took legal action um
0: did you win the legal action where they did did you find well, or did, you win? did you find a resolution that you were happy with?
1: Yeah, I did because they took it off of every social media. Another thing that that is really protective is like you start a shitstorm on social media and it really works in terms of everyone supports each other being like, no to plagiarism. Look at this video by video close by, like shame on you. Why would you copy this act? Mm. Uh, come up with your own ideas. Like, mm-hmm. And it's, it's really like, I think everyone comes together in this kind of situations when it's like blatantly copied of the act. If it's inspired, that's a bit like harder to, to even have an argument about that. But however, I think what I'm trying to say is the most important uh, attitude to have is that don't put too much of your energy and attention into this because it drains you, this like overprotective feeling that oh, like I'm gonna lose money because someone else is copying my idea. Um, I was teaching a little bit at NICA in Melbourne, the National Institute of Circus Arts, and I had a QA with the art with the with the students, and they asked me, and I told them that there's this concept that I really like. I don't remember where I get the metaphor from, but there's the goal, the goose and the golden egg and the goose is your creativity and imagination Mm -hmm. that generates the golden eggs, which are your ideas. And if you put too much energy into like trying to keep the golden egg and protecting it, then you neglect the goose.
0: Mm. Yeah. But the goose is the most important. The
1: goose is the most important. Because if you have your creativity and you're an artist and you have imagination, you have originality, you have passion for making new things in the circus world or creating, then you're never going to run out of ideas and you're never going to run out of work. And you're not afraid that someone else is taking it. Of course, it's annoying. But are you really going to spend a lot of time and energy worrying about it? Or are you going to move on and make more stuff, you know?
0: Oh, for sure. My wife and I gave a, a conference at the circus school in Rotterdam back in 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. And they have this super interesting concept there that they conceptualize a repertoire, like in ballet, you know, you have all these classical mm-hmm. shows and these classical shows, are part of the classical repertoire so that, you know, over time, different companies come in, different people, and they, they just reproduce the exact same show. They're like Swan Lake, you know, do you have how many yeah. different versions of Swan Lake you had? And they were introducing these ideas in circus to have a repertoire of classical circus act we would be the same it would be like the same music the same costume and you would just learn that classical act that's part of the repertoire and i never thought that that could even be a thing you know and like when they told that to us we were both like "Shit, i never thought about it it's not like yeah it's not a bad idea and it, it wouldn't make sense, you know, because there is so much history of circus behind us. So why not having the same thing like in dance, but I feel that in circus, in the culture, there is that thing of like, no, it's my act, it's my mm-hmm. thing. And when it stops, it stops with me. And like, I, I feel like with you and your work, you started already to have that thing, like having, making deals with different companies so that they can use your idea and they can use your act. So you, you have like yeah. many different people doing your act mm-hmm. there is that aspect a bit of like your act became like a, a classical thing in, mm-hmm. in in some way. Yeah.
1: You see? Well um it is it is a really interesting topic. I mean classical you know if you're talking about Swan Lake well that's like public domain. That's Tchaikovsky's music and like uh, you know if someone's like still actively performing something that's maybe a little bit different. Mm. Um, however yeah, I mean, what? how can you patent an idea? You can't patent an idea. You can patent an apparatus or choreography or music, something possible. But like a concept, that's that's a bit harder, you know what I mean? Um, it's sometimes hard to grasp. And again, it depends. Uh, is the company that's reproducing your act, are they benefiting? Are they doing special events for Porsche and getting a huge amount of money from your idea? Where you could have profited from it yourself because yeah. you're, you're the OG, or is it uh, some dance company somewhere in Eastern Europe and they're just doing it because they they need a lot of material quickly and it's some dancer it's not even an aerialist mm-hmm. just flying on a hotel cart like you yeah. maybe let that one go do you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> it's a little bit um, relative yeah but yeah that's an interesting idea about repertoire I do think that. We should um, support the culture of crediting each other and uh, acknowledging always where the roots come from to the best of our ability because that's respectful and also at the same time keeping open-mindedness about sharing, sharing, teaching each other uh, the knowledge that we have, spreading these ideas and not being afraid yeah not being afraid of it
0: in your whole process what were the biggest challenges that you faced in developing the apparatus, or in like presenting it like you're doing the whole process
1: mm, challenges i could say that there was a, a situation where there was um two girls had to learn my act without me being there physically mm. And that was really, they they learned my acts through video, basically, Mm. on a whole cart. And I was not happy with that. I wanted to be there personally. And it was, yeah, it was a little bit difficult because I I want to pass on the, you know, specific knowledge of the technique with this giant thing.
0: Was it a conflict of schedule or like in the agreement, it was set like, no, they're going to learning on their own and you can't teach them?
1: It was kind of a little bit of both. And it was a question of budget, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah.
1: As it oftentimes is. But I'm going to try to prevent that from happening again.
0: And so you're saying that the result, the way they performed the card was not up to like what you want your concept and your piece to be represented on stage?
1: I, I, I wouldn't say so blatantly because it's just it's a different show it's not my show it's not my concept the the whole show Mm -hmm. so um i wouldn't say not as good i would just say they're just details that are essential and you just can't do it through a call on on the video you know you need to be there
0: what you're saying this it's really the mark of the greats you know the details but the detail is essential it's something i heard from many many great artists that are like no this is a detail yes but it is essential
1: and the audience they don't know they've seen it but they've seen it you know (laughs) movement quality or speed or musicality execution of certain things for sure
0: and on the opposite were were the great surprises besides finding like oh like the, the apparatus move a certain way I didn't expect this it's amazing what what were the other great things that happened on the way that you're like oh shit I didn't expect this to happen it's amazing
1: well I guess I didn't expect it to be that successful that I have seven of them around the world <laughs> like I thought okay one more would be cool but then it just kept like more and more demand for it which is Amazing! Uh, Someone was making fun of me. That's my hotel card empire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised and honored and privileged and so grateful to have this opportunity that my act is playing in different shows around the world in different versions. Yeah, currently there's one in Miami. There's my great friend Milena doing it. Milena and Hampus. Milena Mm. is doing hotel. Um, in a club, and she's doing it a completely her own way now because she's been doing it for a really long time and she's doing it to the music that she chose. She adapted the choreography in her own way, in her own style, and she's killing it. It's just so amazing to see it take shape. I completely trusted her artistic vision because she's been doing it for so long that I was like, you do it, you do it the way you wanted to do it with your costume, your character. A little bit more glam, a little bit more burlesque, and I'm really proud of her. I'm really proud of all the girls that are doing it around the world. I'd really like to get a guy doing it next. I think.
0: Yeah, it's a good idea for sure.
1: I did candidates in mind. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and do you think it's something you would want to pursue? Like uh, you mentioned, you were teaching, like um, hmm. teaching, like a I don't I don't know how to even word this, but like ideation or like how to.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been. Uh, Recently, um, kind of transitioning into becoming a director more and more. I have been directing some shows uh, for Spiegel Tents in Australia and acts act creation like Outside Eyeing and um, Dramaturg, artistic counselor for specific acts. That was really great. A lot of people asked me, individual professional circus artists and sometimes uh, beginners too. Like, okay, I have the technique. I'm training and. I need help with the act. Like, can you help me create? I really like doing that. Just one individual act where I approach an artist and I see what they want to do, what kind of character they want, or do they even know if they have a character or not, and then, like, help them create that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really going in that direction. More.
0: And how is that compared to performing for you? Like, how do you like that?
1: I mean, I've been performing for quite a while now. So graduated 2008, and I'm about to turn 36. So I feel like as a performer, I've had an amazing, super crazy career, which I'm really grateful for. And I I don't necessarily need to be on stage myself anymore Mm. to feel proud of my work or to be fulfilled and, and excited by my work that's on stage. I really like directing now more and more. I I would still like to be a performer, not necessarily an aerialist or an acrobat. Mm-hmm. Like I like doing character work very much.
0: Yeah. Would you do something with your dad?
1: Oh, with have my you, dad. Have you,
0: have you even worked?
1: I've dad? done a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. It's <laughs> really really hard because oh, you take things personally so quickly.
2: <laughs> mm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we worked together a couple of times. Clown. Also, I have so such um reverence for clowning i have so much respect that i think i'm a little bit afraid of it (laughs) (laughs) and also know very well how hard it is
0: yes that is for sure
1: but yeah creating creating new ideas concepts shows acts apparatuses it makes me think our conversation makes me think of this meme i saw it was like a squiggle and and the caption said my new aerial apparatus (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's pretty cool. When you were talking about like what does it take to create a new apparatus, be it aerial or or you know or anything, how do you know if it's gonna work or not? Well, you don't. You don't know at all until you kind of try it. And that's really tricky because you have to put in money to even make a prototype a lot the times, and then also have great people trying to help research it with you. Mm -hmm. However, what I think Can be one really good tip is like think about the object not as an inanimate object, but what's it? What is it? It's soul. What's the soul of the object? Like, what is it? What does what feelings does it evoke? And if the object itself evokes some sort of feeling or association or memory, then maybe that's a really great pathway for a story. Hmm. And that's even maybe less important because the moves moves and technique you will find anyway
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can do a split on anything <laughs> you can do a handstand on almost anything do you know what i mean like um or or looking at you know originality it's never it's almost never something completely new it's taking something old and something else different and then combining these two things in a in an unexpected way mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be completely new like it can just be a modified version of something else
0: yeah it's a brilliant idea and i think it's a brilliant exercise to do even with any apparatus you're looking at your aerial hoop or at your head <laughs> balancing canes and just but seeing if it evokes anything to you you know Something else with like bruises and like <laughs> pain. Yeah,
1: what is it? What is, what is the story there? I remember working with a great artist, um Pipsa Ilpala, who's an incredible foot juggler from Finland. And we were I was helping her, I was helping her direct an act. I was outside outside eyeing for a couple of acts for her. She hired me as her director, which for which I was I was really honored. And um we were working with this awesome idea that she had she has a car tire mm-hmm. that she juggles with her feet and inside the tire is a ball it's a white ball mm-hmm. and she's spinning the bo- the thing and the ball's spinning inside and then she rotates the the tire and the ball's like jumping up and down it's really crazy mm-hmm. and then we were like trying to find the intention behind it. like what what does it mean? Like, what's the, the tire? Cars,
2: uh-huh. like what <laughs>
1: it's just a tire with the ball inside. Like <laughs> what? And then and then it clicked. I was like, okay, what does it mean for you? What is this? What is the memory? What is the association? What is the story of this apparatus for you personally? And maybe like it's emotional. It doesn't have to be logical. Mm-hmm. And then we went deep into this research of this idea, and she said to me. Well, it's an idea that is mine, original, that is a little bit contemporary. I come from traditional circus. And she persevered and she developed this idea anyway and presented it at a young stage, and it went really great for her. Now she's known for the
2: mm.
1: uh, style. And it's really, really original and really beautiful. And that's like for her, it was it was her rebellious independence breaking free of expectations. Mm. That's what it was for her, this object, even though it's not uh, literal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Therefore, she put that intention into the act, into how she she jumps first with five balls, mm-hmm. and then she takes the tire and the ball, and even the way she just looks at it and goes to it, like, you get it, this is special, this is something different. It doesn't have to have a literal story.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was not like, oh, when I was a kid, I was playing with the tire, and now, like, it's not that at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I thought that that was a really cool um, approach.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, for sure. If I try to compile the advice, first advice Mm -hmm. would be daring. Like, if you have this idea of this apparatus, try. And the only way you'll find if it works is by trying. So you need to be be patient because it takes time to find something that works.
1: Yeah. And be ready for failure because failure is actually amazing. It means growth. It means experience. It means you're learning. You're like, oh, great. Okay. I failed again. Now we're narrowing it down, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: What about you do it? Developing your own apparatus, your own thing, what would be like the bullet point? Okay,
1: okay, okay. First first things I would recommend is absolutely do your research. And first of all, you go online and you check if anyone's done it before. <laughs> and if they have, that's okay, because maybe you can do something a bit different that's not exactly the same, but maybe you make it your own. Or it's absolutely fine to also ask for permission and ask for, hey. I also had this idea and most of the time people will say hey great ideas happen simultaneously in different parts of the world all the time and uh, no problem or you know you give credit the original idea by this person now I'm inspired and I'm doing something like this so do your research slash ask and do your research anyway like when I did hotel card. I went to every single hotel I could find and I took pictures of every single hotel cart. I had measured, I wanted to see what color, what like what aesthetic did I want, like for a long time before I ordered it, rushing into it. Second, yeah, experiment research take time to to fail, to, to try again, don't give up. And third of all, yeah, welcome feedback and Maybe it doesn't necessarily work because that's also fine. Number three should be number one, actually. It's like hone your goose, yeah, and not the golden egg. Like, be more protective and, and nurturing of your creativity, of your imagination, your desire to be an artist.
0: Oh, that's amazing! Thank you so much. <laughs> I have one last question to Please. ask you before I to go. If tomorrow, aliens would come on earth how would you describe Cirque du Soleil to them
1: uh let me think about that one
0: or it can be circus, circus
1: yeah circus in general I guess it's like <laughs> part of me wants to say oh, like when life is good and people are really bored they start doing weird shit <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's not very flattering is it (laughs) (laughs) well let me try again maybe say like an expression of human passion there's one more thing that i wanted to say about circus and how i see it anyway and my approach to it is that i feel like the tricks and acrobatics which actually defines circus, really, what, what differentiates it from the rest of genres of performance art. That's actually the l- least important thing in my in my eyes. Like I see it's the last, it's the cherry on top, the acrobatics is the cherry on top. It's everything else that makes it so special. It's the theatricality, it's the character, it's the movement quality, it's the musicality, it's the costume, it's the makeup, it's the lights it's the the storyline the narrative emotional intention the presence on stage and then you add a trick on top of all of that and then you add death defying heights for example or risk factor because that's when for me that's when the audience's brain explodes because it's like Mm. Wait, and and they're doing that while they're just completely living on stage. You know, mm. that's what I felt when I saw alegria for the first time. I really felt like they don't even need to flip, and they're flipping.
2: Mm. What mm. you know?
1: <laughs> so it's, it's it's hard to explain to aliens what what this is because I feel it's like it can be a lot of the time like the ultimate performance art form because it combines all of these different. Genres, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes I tend to focus too much on the tricks. But that's just my personal humble opinion.
0: Yeah, I have to say, also seeing your work and knowing you for a long time, you're a good acrobat. So it's it makes sense for you to be like, I don't know, I'm not going to think so much on the acrobatics because this is done already. I have this in my pocket, so I can focus on all the rest and I put my acrobatics on top. I
1: feel like I'm being pretty lazy as an aerialist because like the hotel cart has a floor. <laughs> I can <stand> on it. <laughs> like i literally I'm, I'm chilling you know it's yes. it's pretty it's crazy
0: <laughs> that's like the, <laughs> the, really. the best part of the episode is like i was just, just feeling a bit tired so i designed an aerial apparatus that had a floor take
2: so like a break <laughs> literally
1: I'm, I'm just standing I'm, <laughs>
0: hey maybe that's what pure genius is you know <laughs> make, it easy, it, yeah, make <laughs> it easy for yourself yeah easy for yourself that's the best, the best advice don't work so hard who needs that
1: so listen kids make it easy for yourselves less hard more pretty <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: thank you so much for having me
0: yeah thank you so much for coming and giving your time. I know you're busy with the show and everything, but thank you so much. And uh, I wish you a big melt for Great. the shows. I enjoy the summer in Andorra and then enjoy the winter in Christmas land with twice this year. <laughs> Christmas uh, land. Yes. I hope our paths will cross. Yes. Soon. I hope so too. Take care. <laughs> See you soon.
1: Bye-bye.
0: All right another great artist, another fantastic story. So now, if you see a hotel card flying over the stage, you'll know that it took four years for Masha to bring it to life. Four years. It's crazy. She's another amazing example that determination truly pays off. And I hope that if you guys are in this process right now, whether it's to create a new apparatus, a new company, a new act, any new act of creation, don't give up. It takes time and know that whatever you put in there, you'll get it back in one form or another. Now, guess what, guys? It's time for you to give us a good rating and review on your podcast app. It's quick, it helps us. Please do it. <laughs> You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. My friends, this episode is now over. We'll be back next week for the last episode of Season 1 of Tapirouge, a very Cirque podcast. Until then, take care. Toy, toy, toy. Big mad if you're having shows. And as we say in a circus, see you down the road.